Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. That's right, boys and girls. You know where you are and you know what time it is. This is the Cashflow Guys Podcast, and this is Tyler Sheff, and I'm the host of this show. And I have a treat for you guys this week. This one's going to be pretty awesome. It's a guy I've been known, known now for about a year, uh, Ramsey Kyle Blankenship. He is a Master Chief Petty Officer of the U.S. Navy, but more importantly, thank him for his service, but he is a real estate investor now. We're going to talk about time this week. We're going to talk about how in the heck do you manage to maintain yourself full-time in the U.S. Navy as a sailor while also at the same time investing in real estate through syndication, and that's going to be the topic of this week's episode. Now, guys, after this episode, you don't have an excuse because you got your little nine-to-five and you can't figure out how to make cash flow happen. If if these folks in the military can handle it, uh, then I'm sure the rest of us can, and that's the way I hope to come away with this week. Uh, Ramsey, are you there with me? I'm here, brother. Hey, I'm man. Here. Thank you so much for coming. I remember I was on your show about a year ago. Uh, that was a good show. I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed talking to you. We um, we talk about this episode. We're going to talk about the the uh, whole idea behind time and buying your, your time back. And, guys, this episode was born from a post that he had made that on Facebook. It says, what are you trading? What are you doing more of trading time for money or money for time. And dude, I got to tell you that hit me like a, like a, like a ton of bricks. I'm like, because short story, those of you listening, a lot of you know this, I retired early and I thought that was cool until I relocated to Key West and then my bills changed. <laughs> so my original <laughs> retirement number uh, went up. So I wound up having to put my realtor hat back on. I had to go put my syndicator hat back on and, and get out there and start doing more deals. And, now time is of course a commodity and you know, first world problems as they say, and you meet somebody like you uh, and you're managing a full-time W2 and not a, not like you're, you know, punching a clock either. You, I, I'm military, I former military. And I can tell you, you guys, there's no such thing as an eight hour day. So what got you to today? Let's back up a little bit. You're from Louisiana originally. Correct. Join the Navy. You've been in it a long time. Uh, Master Chief Petty Officer doesn't come in a week and a half. <laughs> no, 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 it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And what's that? What's that process like? So now you're, you, you know, you've done how many years? You've been in now. Uh, Sixteen. Sixteen. Thank you for your service. Sixteen years military service in the U.S. Navy. Um, that is in, in itself a full time job on steroids, I would imagine. Yeah, it is. It, it takes up the, the majority of my day. Yeah. For sure. I, you know, I'm down here. I, I don't know how the hell you do it. I'll be honest with you, brother, because I, I don't have a full-time job. I guess if the podcast would be a full-time job, but that's like an hour a week. How, how does it, what's that like? At what point do you sit there as a, being in the military, as long as you have time as a commodity, you're a dad, you're a dad. You got two, two daughters. Yeah, a daughter and a son. A daughter yeah. and a son. Okay, that's even more work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I prayed that I wouldn't have a little boy because, man, they just take stuff apart and put it back together. I was like, nah, I got no time for that, man. I had little girls, and I just thank my lucky stars that happened. At what point did you decide that it was you were going to find the time? What was the, the turning point for you? you? You got a Navy career, and that's cool. You got a Navy retirement, even cooler, but you wanted more. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So it it happened at a pretty young age, actually, whenever I was in my young twenties, uh, my wife and I, we had just owned a house out in California 
wasn't an investment property, just a place for us to live in. Right. And whenever we sold that house, uh, the market had gone up and we put $40,000 in our pocket. And I, I thought to myself, we are rich. Like right. <laughs> I, I had never, I had never seen $40,000 in my life and it was all mine. Yeah. And all I had to do was live in this house in San Diego, California. <laughs> and I had worked the entire year and made about $40,000 in take home. And so that, that kind of hit me pretty hard. Like, man, there's a way to make money outside the military. Uh, and I could probably do this on my spare time, which didn't have a lot of spare time, but I had some, I had enough to get going. Right. When in the Navy, uh, you have sea duty and you've got shore duty. And, th- and whenever we sold our house, I was going from sea duty where all of my time was working up for deployment, deploying, coming home. Right. It's kind of like you're in a boxing match with life because your schedule is constantly changing. The duty, like you get called to duty all the time. There's your, your temporary assigned duty. So you travel a lot. You really have a lot of time to sit down and, and, and plant any roots down. But when we sold that house, I had some cash in my pocket. We moved down to Panama City, Florida, where I just went from a place where buying a house was half a million dollars for any house right. to a place where I bought my first duplex for forty thousand dollars. Wow! Right? <laughs> like, and I, I tell people, you can't even buy a mailbox in San Diego for forty thousand dollars. But no. there I was in Panama City with some scratch on shore duty. Uh, with shore duty, you're you're not deploying. You're usually doing like a, it's a pretty uh, set schedule. You're usually teaching, instructing, uh, you know, it's simple stuff. It's it's a lot more like a nine to five than whenever you're deploying, you preset schedule. So I thought, well, here's my opportunity to actually lean into this and learn it. And I wanted to buy a duplex and live in one side, rent the other side out. My dad had kind of told me that that would be a good idea whenever I got to the point where I wanted to buy a house. And I told my wife, I was like, Hey, we need to buy this duplex, live on one side, rent the other side out and our mortgage will be free. And she was like, how about no? And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, this is such a great idea. And this is what I love about my wife. She always kind of grounds me back to reality. She's like, look, man, we're trying to grow a family. Right. We got dogs. Like, like we got kids. We're trying to add a kid to the family. Like, why would you want to, sh- I don't want to share a wall with anybody. Yeah. And that's where kind of, I, I didn't hear, no, I hear, I don't want to share a wall. So it was like a yes, but right. it's not a no, it's a yes, but I don't want to share a wall. And that's the way my brain thinks. Right. So I went and found a house that had two little cottages on the back and I, I brought my wife to the house and I just showed her the, the front house. Right. I didn't right. show her the cottages. I was like, Hey, what do you think about this home? She said, it's great. I said, okay, you could live here. She says, yeah. So what do you think about the neighbors out back? She's like, they look like neighbors, Ramsey. We're going to have neighbors. I said, okay, cool. <laughs> I bought that freaking house. <laughs> and then right before we closed, I went to her and I said, hey, you see those two places out back? I said, those two places pay 650 bucks each a month in rent. Nice. And the house the mortgage on this house is 1200 So we're going to get paid $100 a month to live in the big house while the two people who live in the little house pay us to do it. And that moment, for that's where when whenever we both realized this is possible. We can do this. Well, all we have to do is live in this house and yes. somebody's going to pay for us to do it. And we started putting $1,500 a month away. That's a game changer. Tyler, like I, the, the, the previous advancements I had made in the Navy were $500 paycheck increases, $600 a month paycheck increases. 
by just choosing to live in an asset versus a liability, we incre- I, I basically went up three ranks in the military in 30 days. Wow. And that really changed my way of looking at, all right, I got to go into the Navy and I got to work nine to five every single day. Or in real estate, I'm making $1,500 a month just to live in a bigger house than the people who are paying for me to do it. That was, that was, that, that blew my mind apart. I was like, what am I, what am I doing? Right. But I, I had been in the Navy about 10 years at this point and I love my job in the Navy. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I really do get filled out of serving this country and I'm going to retire out of the Navy. But now that I've been in for 16 years, doing things of that nature have, have allowed me to make more money outside the Navy than I do in. It's not all about money, but after 20 years, I'll be able to hang my hat and say, I served the country. Now it's time for me to go get mine. Right. right. So, and you know, the, what I love about your plan is you're going to have your military pension, which is good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I know lots of people that are retired and, and live very well off their military pension. Um, you're going to have the cat, even if you did no more deals, if you hadn't done any more, but that just that duplex, I mean, that's huge. That's twice what the average American makes on social security, twice what the average yeah. American makes in cash. That's insanity. If you think about it, it's great. And you probably used a VA mortgage. Correct. Put $0 down. So it was a hundred percent, hundred percent. Amen. God, I wish we got to get, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to probably put some paid advertising behind this ad because I know so many young, young men and women that are in the military serving their country and they come out flat broke. I, you're, you're in leadership. You probably see it all the time. You're probably surrounded by sailors that they're just not making some of the sacrifices to your point. Wife doesn't want to move in. I mean, I've, I know I've talked to a lot of people over the years from that call in from the podcast. That's the struggle. Guy wants to get financially free. Wife's like, I'm not living there. The difference though, what I love about what you did is that didn't stop you and you didn't force the issue. You just went out and found an acceptable option. Yeah, compromise, right? Right. right. Well, yeah, I maybe I, I'm sure the military probably taught you a lot of that because I learned that in the military. It's like you know you can't strangle people; they 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 tend to frown on that. You actually have to figure out a way to get to a common common understanding, uh, at least you know sailor to sailor or soldier to soldier. In my case, but that's that's good. Now, guys, those of you that are listening to this episode and you're thinking, "Oh, my wife would never do that," would she really? Because every time I think I try to read my wife's mind, and we've been together for a long time, I am wrong. Wrong, yeah. wrong, wrong. I didn't think my wife would ever want to move to Key West and live in a teeny tiny little apartment. Our first apartment in Key West was like 350 square foot. Jesus. And yeah. And you think, holy crap. Now, at one point, we had a 2,500 square foot house, which for a lot of you listening to this episode, it is in itself small. I, I, with 2,500 $2, square foot just allowed me to accommodate or to accumulate more crap that I didn't need. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when you can reach out to your wife and say, hey, and, and really moving to Key West was her idea. I was like, we're sitting at a picnic table and we're looking at the ocean at Fort Zachary. And I don't know if you've ever been down here, Ramsey, but um, the ocean here is something something to be seen. And it, it we just moved out of our motorhome. We had a, a Class A motorhome that was 38 feet long by, if you open the slides, 12 feet wide. If you didn't open the slides, eight feet wide. So, you know, do the math. So moving into 300 square foot, even though in my head, she would never be okay with it. When I said, hey, are you really really want to stay here? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, it's going to be stupid expensive and we're going to live in a closet. She's like, I get it, but it's paradise. We're not going to be in the house anyway. 
And no. that's, that's true. So you well done for figuring that out. And guys, if your wives or your spouses or your significant others, you think the same thing is going on, there's probably a, a compromise in there somewhere. You just have to have the balls to go find it. And so I love what you did. And man, that just changes the game exponentially. I'll tell you what the, the, the biggest mindset shift was because we, I've always been into finances and we, we had read the, uh, the Dave Ramsey, like the snowball effect and, and Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad. I, I was into all of this, stuff. Right. but whenever we started doing the Dave Ramsey stuff, you know, it was take all your money out of the bank account for every dollar save for, you know, save, save, save. And then basically this massive budget. So I remember coming home from work on the first and the 15th with like my paycheck in cash, handing it to my wife. And then she would divvy it up into all these different envelopes and she'd hand me my envelopes back with my name on it. Right. Right. One was for gas. The other one was for food. And the third one was for entertainment. So gas was $150, food was $150, and entertainment was $75. And I was like, this sucks. Like $75 <laughs> is not enough to entertain Rams blanket ship. Like I <laughs> I needed that to be backwards. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> and so that was that was when everything was take what you earn from your W-2 and make do with it. Whenever we decided to make one decision of buying an asset, right? Like and and, and that's the thing about uh the the, the the Dave Ramsey stuff. Don't dip. Don't drink Red Bull. Don't eat. You know, out at restaurants. Go basically make a list of everything you love to do and don't do any of it. Right. And then you'll then you'll be financially free. Well, that to me is not free. No. That's financially strapped. Like that means you can't enjoy life. Right. When I made the decision to live into a place that had uh, you know two cottages on the back, that freed up fifteen hundred dollars a month. I said that's my entertainment fund right there. <laughs> Right now I'm dipping, I'm drinking expensive whiskeys. I'm doing the things I want to do. I just got to make sure that I keep investing the money I make from this. Right. And that's kind of, that's kind of been my theme is like, if I can live off of my, my W2 income and invest every dollar that I've put into investing, I've, I've kept deploying it into investing. I deploy it and deploy it and make sure it comes home with friends. Right. And that's, I've been growing that empire for since 2014 now. And it went from living in what we call a house sack now to now we have 184 units. Nice. We have a hotel. We're closing on an RV park next week. That's got another, or not next week. That's got another 32 unit hotel attached to it. So it's just been this, the snowball effect went from paying off credit to now investing in assets. Right. And that's how I'm good. Like my ability to step out of the Navy and replace that income with passive income. Most people, when they retire out of the Navy, that doesn't mean retirement. That means get out of the Navy, go get another 20 year job. So you can have two retirements that'll actually pay for you to sustain your lifestyle. I'm not doing that. I'm investing in passive income. That way, when I step out of the Navy, I am retired. I only work if I want to, I don't have to work. I don't work if I have to, I'll work if I want to. And I probably will want to work but I don't have to, if I don't want to. And that's been the goal. That's been my exit plan for, for I've, I've been trying to get out of the Navy since I joined it, bro. Yeah. <laughs> 20 year yeah. exit plan. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was in that, that ballpark too. And I always thought the grass was greener and you know, hindsight 2020, I thought about staying in and retiring, but at the time it was like, just to make, I did five years and I was like, okay, it's time to go. I, whatever. Um, but I like what you said there. And the fact that you, you set yourself up with choices, but it, understand that's tough for a lot of people, just like the whole having your wife, you know, 
agree to move into the the uh, duplex or the multifamily, it's a huge challenge. So when you talk about how to buy back your time, what does that look like? What does that mean when you say, how do you buy back your time? So I had a mentor tell me this, and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and it was just a lot of people will work work at a job w2 get paid 50 to 75 dollars an hour and then whenever they're investing they'll do things that will only sit that somebody else is willing to do for 20 25 bucks an hour Ah. right it makes absolutely no sense and i was doing it trust me my first apartment complex i remember i remember to the day like i could still smell the drywall mud on my spackle (laughs) i was on the stepladder drywalling in this kitchen right and I was listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast. That 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 was the heat back then, man. Right. And there's this guy on there, and he's like, you know, there's a lot of wannabe investors out there, <laughs> right? And he's like, there's there's people who go to work and make fifty bucks an hour, and then they'll go to the whatever house they're flipping or whatever, and they'll do something somebody else is willing to do for 10, 15 bucks an hour, like drywall or paint. And I, and I'm sitting there, <laughs> there like, <you> are. <laughs> like scraping this stupid mud on this wall. I'm like, God, I hate that. I, I literally hate drywall. It is, it is my enemy. And I'm like, you know what? This dude's right. I bet there's somebody willing to do this for 10, 15 bucks an hour. I put the spackle down. I picked up my phone, went to Craigslist and found a drywaller. And Panama City Bubba showed up like an hour later and he not only was he did he do all of the drywall needed to be done for 15 bucks an hour. He was about five times as fast as I was. Oh, yeah. So what I thought when I thought I was saving 15 bucks an hour, I was really only saving about two dollars and 50 cents an hour because this dude could do what I could do in one hour. He could do five times as much. And that's that was that aha moment for me. I was like, well, how do I how do I know? what my, what my, what my number is, right? Because that's, that's something people struggle with. If somebody's willing to do it for 25 bucks an hour, well, how do I, how, how do I justify my time not being 25 bucks an hour? So a mentor of mine told me, you take your, your annual salary, you divide it by 2000 and that is your hourly rate. Right. And it makes sense. There's 52 weeks in a year. You're going to get two weeks off a year. So that means 50 weeks. You times that by the average nine to five is 40 hours a week. Right. You got thousand hours. So if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, divide that by 2000, $50 an hour is roughly what your hourly wage is worth. So if there's anything that someone's willing to do for less than $50 an hour, you need to hire them to do it and it not be you. Even if you have the time to do it, because what's going to happen is you're going to drain your willpower. Or you're going to lock up your brain to focus on one thing that you know is a simple task, and you're going to be too tired to think creatively for the next for what what's the next revenue generating thing that I could come up with. Exactly. Right. And a good example: there's an app out there called Sudshare. Right. I'm, I don't like. I love this app. It's somebody will show up, take bags of laundry off my driveway. They'll go do the laundry. They'll fold it. They'll drop it off. It costs a dollar a pound. And a bag of a, a trash bag of laundry may be like fifteen pounds. Right, fifteen dollars for two loads of laundry. Totally worth it. That saves me hours of time. It saves stress between me and my wife. Yes, I got somebody mow my grass. They do it. It, it, it only takes them an hour, but there's three of them. They do it for seventy five bucks. It would take me two two hours to do it, and I hate yard work. Right, house cleaners. What are you doing to buy back your time? And the way I buy back my time is I have passive income that comes into the household. And I use some of that money to pay for people who 
do the things that I would normally have to do. I haven't found I haven't found a, a service to come and do my dishes for me, but God dang, I wish there was one because I hate doing dishes, right? There's got to be one but, out there. <laughs> yeah, but, but what happens to most people is they go to their nine to five, they come home and they're so daggum tired from their job. They got to do the housework. By the time the housework's done, it's dinner time. By the time dinner time is done, it's time to hang out with the kids and put them to bed. And there's absolutely no room for yourself. Right. For, for, for one, for yourself, for you to work on your business. Right. So what I've started doing to buy back my time is I've, I've outsourced laundry, outsourced uh, lawn care, outsourced house cleaning. Right. So that saves a couple hours a week, but that costs money. I also wake up early. Uh, early. I usually get up about four o'clock in the morning. I have to be at work close to nine o'clock. So it gives me three or four hours to work. It's just a couple hours a day on my business, right? Today I'm on a, on a podcast with you. It's pretty early in the morning over here on the West coast. I'm going to knock this out. Then I'm not going to worry about real estate for the rest of the day. I'm going to go to my W2, come home, spend time with my family. That's good. All right. But I'm fresh tomorrow morning. I'm fresh. I've, I've had a good night's sleep. I'm fresh. I'm thinking about what the next move for my real estate is. Right. And whenever I really talk about buying back your time, here's something I want you to think about whenever, whenever you look at uh, t- take your app, your your W two job, divide it by two thousand, and that's your number. So if your number, if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, and your number is fifty dollars an hour, when you're looking at passive income, if you can buy an asset that brings you in, let's just say it brings you in a hundred bucks a month, right? Right. Don't look at it as a hundred bucks a month because the thing that you're going to say is a hundred bucks a month, man. That's like a tank of gas. That's is it really worth doing it? But if you look at it, say if every hundred dollars it brings in, it's bought me back two hours of my time this week, two hours of time this month. Right. So now you say, well, this one makes five hundred dollars a month. That's 10 hours. Right. That's a full work day. You just bought yourself back a day a month. That's huge. So now instead of looking at it as what's my number, look at it as what's my break even on time. How can I buy back my time? And eventually you add one asset to your list, saves you a couple hours a, a month. Then you add another, then you add another, and then they get bigger. And now you can start making decisions that buy you back days a month, right? Yes. And eventually you bought your whole month back. And you just, all you have to do is manage this thing a couple hours in the morning, a couple decisions here and there. You don't have to be on site to do these things. You don't have to self-manage. You don't have to do drywall. You don't have to do the paint. You hire these things out and you buy your time back. And that's the concept that's really been driving me is whenever I retire out of the Navy, I'm going to have a lot of time, but you know, I'm going to have my pension from the Navy. I'll have my passive income, but imagine like with, with the thought processes that I've developed over the past five, 10 years and the way that I look at money and the way that I look at time, the way I look at opportunities. If I have the entire day to just think about what my next move is, imagine the things I can come up with. Oh my God. Yes. I don't have to sit there and worry about lawn care, picking up the kids, you know, all, all these things that can be outsourced. I don't want to say picking up the kids to be out, of course, but eventually they'll grow up, right? You'll be, right. you'll be an empty nester at home and you're going to have a lot of time on your hands. What I don't want to do is go back to work and tell, have someone else tell me what I need to do with my time. Tell me what uniform I need to be in. Tell me how much I'm worth an hour. No, you don't get to tell me how much I'm worth an hour because my hours are free now because they've been paid off. So that's kind of my concept on how to look at time. Exactly, man. That's powerful that guys. And that's really that, that sums it up better than I ever could have done. And I can tell you, because I hear this a lot. I, 
I imagine you run into this Ramsey where people, I, I get a little sad sometimes we we're raising money right now. I know you, you, you have a couple syndications you're working on as well. And I think about what you just said when they're they maybe they got 500,000 sitting in their IRA doing nothing and they come in with 50,000 because they want to stick their toe in the water and be, make sure that it's, it's safe. But then at the, at the end of the day, well, why are you doing that? Well, I'm afraid I might lose money. Good. Well, articulate for me what that means. What steps have to happen for you to be able to lose money buying a cash flowing asset? And the steps usually end with selling it when it's down. It's like, okay, so let's back that up, right? What can you do? What steps can you take? And a lot of times I think the the passive investor, which I know you deal a lot with and your company deals a lot with, if those of you that are thinking about investing in something passively, like you're looking at one of Ramsey's deals, right? Your team, Ramsey, is providing that time buyback. You've built a team of people that go out and find the opportunities, rehab the opportunities, negotiate with the contractors, and get the building materials that discounts, buy kitchen cabinets and countertops and all that good stuff so that Tyler, the passive investor guy sitting down in Key West, doesn't have to go do all that. Because for me to be able to do that, number one, is is a huge time suck, especially if I'm not in the same market where the deal is. But you guys are building those teams. So if I invest in your deal, I'm essentially doing exactly what you just said, is I'm buying my time back by doing so. By putting my money to work, my retirement money to work in your deal, I'm in essence, buying my time back. Is Absolutely. That yeah. That's yeah think, of, think of yourself as the person who doesn't know how to do drywall. Right. And you're trying to do it versus me being Billy, uh, you know, Panama city, Billy uh, coming in and being able to do it five times faster, more efficiently for less money. That's kind of the difference, right? Like if you want to jump into real estate today, you, you can, you can definitely learn real estate. Yes. Uh, it's going to take you a lot of time because you're not the only person who wants to buy real estate right now. The entire world wants to buy real estate in the U S because the market's on fire. So the amount of time that it's going to take you to learn it, the amount of time that it's going to take you to put down the down payment, you may have the down payment, but I want you to really think about that down payment. How much time did you exchange to get that down payment? Oh it's quite a bit, right? Yeah. You're willing to risk that on your on your learning, and in some may it's it. Uh, I think I think investing in real estate for anybody is a good idea as long as you have some general knowledge on 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 assets, liabilities, and, and what to look for. But the amount of time it's going to take anyone in, in that's listening right now who's not currently in, investing in real estate to learn what I have over the past eight years, or what you have since you've been investing in real estate, it's obnoxious to think that you would be able to do that on your first try because yeah. it's just. Just takes too long. It does. So I really do think that to you, you can learn investing by investing. You can invest in yourself. You can invest with other people. You can invest in a course. You can invest in a book. You can whatever it is. You're going to have to pay a tuition. There's always a tuition, right? This yeah, is the, the, sure. there is no college for real estate. My tuition came in the form of 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 the, like the school of hard knocks. I lost money in Shreveport, Louisiana, and, and the market taught me how to read markets for good multifamily, right? We just, uh, we just closed last week on a apartment complex I held in Shreveport, Louisiana, and it was just a joint venture, me and a friend of mine. Right. We held that thing for five years. I've pulled a total of 250 bucks out of it. Ouch. But yeah, it's better it than, than two, hey. minus 250. <laughs> Well, you might look at it and say, hey, man, you made 250 bucks. No, man, I lost five years of worrying, right? It was not worth it. But at the end of the day, when you ask yourself, what's the worst case scenario for investing in real estate? 
Nothing goes down to net zero. Right. Real estate is always worth something. Even if the place burns to the ground and you don't have insurance, the land is still worth something. You're not going to invest in something in real estate and come out with absolutely nothing because it's, it's, it's structure. You may not make as much as you thought. You may lose some if the market shifts and you weren't paying attention to it. There are risks associated as within any business, but the chances of you losing every single dollar you invest in real estate, it's, 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 it's not going to happen. You just, real estate's never going to become free. No, absolutely not. It'd be pretty nice. I'd take all I can get, but. But at the end of the day, if you take, if you exchange, if you look back on that deal and you go back uh, over the last five years, is it fair to say that if you hadn't learned the lessons that you learned over the last five years in working with that problem, because here's the thing, guys and girls, you don't learn shit if everything goes right. Yeah. You Absolutely. Know, you know, being in the military, they train us to react to when things go wrong on, on possible scenarios that go wrong. A doctor is trained in medicine based on things that can go wrong so they can be two steps ahead of it. That's the reality of life. So, yeah, you get into I got my ass handed to me in Memphis. Let me tell you, I realized that I don't belong in low income housing. I got beat up bad up there. We came out of it smelling like a rose, but it was the grace of God that got me out of Memphis. It's like, holy crap. Um, but it took away my fear and the fear is what held me back. I don't know about you, but I had a lot of fear, pent up fear of failing and looking stupid for many years. And I was very hard at a tough time coming to terms that I blew it in Memphis, um, before I got out. And the minute that I decided that it was okay to blow it and now I'm going to figure out a way, a solution. And I did, I, and not only did the investors got all their money back, they got exactly what I promised them it made me more powerful because I learned from those mistakes. Did Tyler walk away with it with a paycheck anywhere near that? I thought I would. Nope. But I got an education during that experience that was legendary. Now I'm looking at this stuff down in Key West. And to your point, you're, you're into hotels and RV parks and, and whatnot. I think it makes you that much more weaponized as an investor because very little is going to scare you after something like that. Is that fair? Oh yeah. It's uh that's anytime I make an investment, I better be learning or I better be earning. Right. And if you don't do one of those two things, then you are failing. Right. And really my, I have a, I have a definition or I ask people all the time in the military, like what's the difference between a mistake and a failure and a mistake is something that you learn from and right. a failure is something that you refuse to learn from. Huh. So to me, I, I don't even like asking people like, you know, what's your biggest failure? Because if you ask somebody that really what you're looking for is like, what did you learn from something? Right. Well, if you learned, it wasn't a failure, right? You may have made, you made a mistake, exactly. but if you continue to make that same mistake, you haven't learned from it. Now you, you are in fact failing. Right. And so that's, I've always had that in the back of my mind. Did I learn something or did I earn something? And when you earn something, you usually learn the least. Right. But I like, I'm investing to make money. I like to, I like to earn. And I definitely don't like to learn on other people's dime. And I do <laughs> I, 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 whenever uh, I go out and I, 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 you know, court people for investing or anything like that. Right. Uh, I'm not going to take on investors for something that I myself haven't done before. So I will learn on my own. I just like this RV park deal that we got going on right now. Uh, it's a joint venture. We could have syndicated it, but I don't want to syndicate other people's money to get into something that I don't necessarily know how to do. Right. Now I could have taken the same, probably, probably, some of the same amount of money that I put in an RV park and done an RV park course. But for me, 
I'm going to just invest in RV park and I'm going to figure it out. And we're going to, you know what I mean? Like we're going to go in, take it seriously. And for the next three years, run this park, learn everything there is to, to, to know about learning parks. And then after I've got the template down, then I'll open it up and scale it up for investors to come in. But I'm not going to do that on someone else's dime. That makes sense. Well, the one thing I figured out is that no matter what the asset class within reason, that there's a lot of similarities across classes. In other words, you you know, you got your income, you have your expenses, You'll need to find out, guys, when you're looking at different asset classes like Ramsey with RV parks, what is an acceptable expense rate? And then what is, what is the current expense rate of the asset I'm looking to borrow or buy on? If the expenses are 68% and it's supposed to be 45 okay, can we fix that? Um, are the owner's life insurance policies packed into that uh, pro forma or, or, or what? For me, a lot of discovering opportunity down here, I don't know about you, Ramsey, but I have Mike as my partner, Mike Marino. Mike's really good with the spreadsheets. That's not Tyler's game. I'm more of the guy that, that stands out in front of the, the property and, and talks to the sellers and puts the deals together and works with the brokers and the banks and whatnot. I'm the relationship guy where Mike I'm is more of the, the, yeah, he's the, he's the spreadsheet guy. And Mike's a people person too. It's just that he's better at the spreadsheet thing. I get, I, my mind goes blank when I see Excel. I, I usually like throw the laptop at my wife and go here. Can you sort this out for me? But, um, it's powerful. I mean, there's so much opportunity sitting out there and you guys are still doing deals. You pivoted recently. I know you were multifamily and now you're pivoting into the RV park space and the hotels. What was that process like? Was it just that inavailability of deals? Cause we've all experienced that. What was that like? So there's a, there's a couple of reasons, but one of them is, is again, time. We were underwriting 200 deals, multi large multifamily deals. Right syndication style deals to come up with one that might actually work. Like we have, we have a three, a three layer underwriting process, kind of like bar napkin underwriting. Then the second one would be like, get the financials. And then the third one would be do a trip and do your due diligence and actually get some dialed in underwriting. Almost like out of, out of 200, maybe like 10 or 15 would pass underwriting one and go down to where we actually cared about the financials. And then after that, maybe one would pass and, by the time you look at your return on time on the front end, it's very hard. It's very hard to get past uh, putting that amount of time in something on the front end. Cause people would ask me like, well, what would you rather do underwrite uh, deals or, or would you rather put that time into asset management? A hundred percent rather asset management, yes. because now I've got a tangible product that I can help grow on the front end. Like if you're putting hours and hours and hours and hours of work into something, to not even get to the point to where you're under contract. And we got under contract. We closed on two deals, but I really, what I, what happened to me, Tyler was I had a friend of mine whose parents wanted to sell their hotel. Her, her father had passed away. It was left to the mother. She didn't really care to run a hotel. Right. So they reached out to me, right. Talk about like uh, a good deal. Right. Whenever a seller is reaching out to you, Hey Ramsey, I'd like for you to buy this. <laughs> This is a friend of my a friend of family too. Right. Like they gave me a great deal on it. All that they cared about was that they, they wanted to see it continue to be the hotel that they had built. And it used oh, to be nice. a bank. Yeah. It used to be a bank still has the vault in it. still has a drive through window. You can actually stay in one of the rooms where like the teller used to exchange money. Wow. It's, it's right next to the vault. Like it's super cool. And I was like, I don't want to own a hotel. Like I don't, I just don't, I don't like hotels until they made me the offer. I was like, all right, I'm going to dig in this. Check it out. I'm going to figure out how to work this hotel. <laughs> right? And we ended up buying it. And that hotel 
is like we're on track for me to get my initial investment back and all of my investors their money back in two years without a refinance. That's just wow. based on the cash flow. Wow. Right now, that's that's an individual thing. Like we we got that thing for really cheap. Uh, I think I think a fair price for, for based on the amount of time because it does take a bit more time to manage a hotel sure. than it does a multifamily. Multifamily, you put somebody in the thing for twelve months, you don't have to worry about it except for exceptions like things break. A hotel, we have weekly meetings, we have marketing expenses, you know, we have we have things that we have to do and it's very fluid as far as the income goes. But so far, every month we've made more than we've spent and I'm, we'll have my money back in two years without a refinance. It's huge. Right. right. But so that opened up my mind to, OK, I've already learned this asset class. You know, I understand it. We've owned it for a year and a half now, and I kind of see all of the things that go into at least a boutique hotel. So I talked to my team and I said, hey, we're underwriting 200 deals to find maybe one on the multifamily side. Let's just see what opportunities are out there in the boutique hotel RV park space. We underwrote 10 and found one that works. Wow, that's a difference. We did it again. We underwrote 10. We found one that works. So talk about reduction in time. What it took on the multifamily side to find one, is it to go for 200 to one ratio down to 10 to one ratio. My time saved on underwriting deals that work in the multifamily or in the, the RV park and boutique hotel space is astronomical. Now, there's more. The reason I talked about earlier, the asset management side, there's more time. It's, it's not as passive. But multifamily is not necessarily a passive deal until you've closed. And even after that, you've got to hire people. The whole process of finding off-market deals, getting them under contract, building relationships with brokers, building relationships with lenders, that is not a passive job. You can't you can't really contract those things out. No, you cannot. Right? And not without spending a lot of money without a guarantee of, of getting any back. Right. So really what I've tried to do is shorten up the time to close even if that means spending more time on the asset class in the back end, because I've got no problem working on an asset that I own. I've got a big problem working on assets I don't own. And that's a lot what underwriting looks like. So uh, that's where we're at now. It's led us to, uh, we've got an RV park that's um, in the North Florida. It's right off the interstate. And we're going to close on that thing in probably a month and a half. There's been a couple of issues with uh, the due diligence and uh, we're working through that right now, but, true off-market deal brought to us uh, because we actually put it out into the world that we wanted to buy RV parks and motels. So it's pretty awesome. That's a powerful thing. You put it out to the world that you want to buy motels and RV parks and lo and behold, and that's kind of what we did down here. We laid out to the community, here's what we're buying. Next thing you know, I got brokers and sellers calling me directly, which made things a lot easier. Let me tell you. Um, What do you say to the person that is thinking about maybe investing passively what type of things when they're when they're looking at RV parks and um, motels and hotels and the smaller stuff, right? I think that the, in my opinion, the and this is just my my opinion, you when you're not competing, you're not competing with Hilton on these smaller hotels, right? These boutique hotels. I think these deals are sexy as hell, frankly, because you're not competing with Hilton. You know, they'll do something at a real compressed cap rate. You're you've got lots of room for value add, just like we've learned with the whole Airbnb and Verbo model. There are people that there is a huge draw for the people don't want corporate America hotels anymore. They don't really enjoy that experience. And frankly, the value proposition for the guest is not there where 
compared to a boutique hotel, you can provide a very customized experience. People are clearly willing to pay for that because the statistics don't lie. We're seeing that down here in Key West. Initially, how did you go about knowing what, like, what is a proper occupancy rate for the hotel? Did you re- leverage somebody locally in that market to figure it out? Did you rely on the owner or how, what did that look like? So the occupancy rate, I, I built a spreadsheet, like as much as I hate spreadsheets, I'm actually pretty good building them. Right. But I took the expenses that they were incurring and then I gave our break even number and our break even number was we needed to be at 35% occupancy to break even. Wow, and we were averaging day. 40 to 50% occupancy. Um, but that, that is, Again, that's because of the price we bought it for. Our debt service was really low. Right. Um, and really, the expenses have gone up quite a little bit because we're building a new website. We're doing some branding. But those aren't necessarily reoccurring expenses, right? Um, how what, what your occupancy rate needs to be depends on how much you pay to, and, and what your expenses are. But you can find out what the average occupancy rate in that area is. If you're uh, if you're planning on doing like Airbnb or VRBO, you can use a website called AirDNA. Um, you can, you know, it's, I think it's like 40 bucks a month for a market report. You only get one market, um, which kind of kind of sucks, really. But you it, the information in that market is good. Uh, there's a couple of other websites I can't come up with the top of my head. I think it's like SFR. Might, might be one of them, but that's like what all the hotels push into. Um, STR. So that this is not short-term rental, but STR is what all of your Hiltons and Marriott's kind of report the occupancy rates to. But really, the, the biggest thing, Tyler, for me, whenever, uh, I guess the aha moment for me, and I'm going to throw a couple of stats out to you, which 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 may or may not mean anything to you, but but in the short-term rental world, this is what kind of made my ears rise. Pre-2019, there were 6% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. After COVID, it went up to 35%, and it's projected to stay in the high 20s for, for the remainder of life, right, now that it's been kind of made aware. Easily. Okay, so that is, a, that is four times the amount of people working remotely than were pre-COVID. All right. As far as short-term rentals go, there was a 67% growth on small towns that had lakes, mountains, streams, waterfalls. Okay. 67% growth in the short-term rental world. The reason that is because international flights went away. So it was really hard to fly internationally. Right. So people were forced if they wanted to travel to go out to places that were remote, that were less likely to enforce the COVID rules, right? Because they didn't have as much uh, large legislation on them. So they turned and they started traveling two to three hours outside of large metropolitan statistical areas. Okay. So that's where that 67% growth came from. Will that go away? They expect in 2024 for the international flights to stabilize back to pre-2019. But now people have kind of created this, um, this liking to traveling to small towns. The RV sales uh, right now, RV parks and RV sales you cannot find an RV for anything cheaper than it was in 2009. Like they're selling used RVs for more than they bought them brand new in 2019 right oh, now. Yeah. People, because you have now four times the workforce that can work remotely, as long as you've got good Wi-Fi, you've got good electrical hookups, safe places to stay in areas that are reasonably, uh, you, you can go visit fun things to do like r- lakes, rivers, mountains, things like that uh, within a reasonable distance. 
then people are going to stay at your RV park. There's there's so many more people traveling with RVs right now. Florida, just like uh, Florida and Texas are like blowing up as far as the economy goes in multifamily. There's a lot of like Florida has always been huge with RV parks. So what what this allows you to do also, also this is going to kind of sound dumb, but it's something to think about. You have all, you've always been able to have every utility at your fingertips uh, if you live in a city, if you go outside that city, you, you've been able to get three out of the four main utilities, right? So electricity can be outsourced to solar or an, or a generator. <laughs> uh, wastewater can be on a septic tank. Right. Water can come from a well or a truck, right? Can show up. But the one thing you've never been able to do is Wi-Fi. You've never been able to get good service or Wi-Fi out in remote locations. Well, with Elon Musk's new satellite system, he's about to give good enough Wi-Fi to anywhere, all of these remote locations. Once that actually happens and you can get good Wi-Fi, where do you think people who have to live in a city but can now work remotely and can go live way out in the middle of nowhere with good Wi-Fi, septic, uh, well, and, and solar, and make an income from a city like New York City while living on an outcome uh, or, or living on the expenses of, of, I don't know, Middletown, Kansas, whatever it may be. Right. It's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's arbitrage. And that's exactly what a lot of people are doing with RVs right now. So those smaller towns out there in the United States where another good thing about those smaller towns is they typically don't have Marriott's and Hilton's. They, do, they, they rely on those boutique hotels or Airbnbs. So the legislation um, is not going to try and push Airbnbs or VRBOs outside. They, they don't have a housing crisis in these areas. That's true. So they're a lot more friendly to short-term rentals. And if you can buy a place that's already permitted, uh, like most little motels are, and then give it a unique, clean, comfortable place to stay, you're going to have you're going to have customers. You're going to have people who want to come to your town and stay at your place, enjoy what, what everything that that town has available to them, so that they can work remotely while doing it. As long as you can get them good Wi-Fi, right? <laughs> that's that's kind of the key. I'll tell you, Starlink. I am a customer of Starlink, and I own a cabin in Central Florida. Well, not in Central Florida, on the west coast of Florida, over by a little town called Cedar Key. And I don't even have cell phone reception up there. I mean, I literally have three dots across the top of my iPhone. But my Starlink signal is so good out there that I literally held one of our recent webinars from my cabin off the grid in the middle of friggin' nowhere where I can't even get cell phone. And I had my, my uplink speed was faster than my, my business partner's speed. And he was plugged in on a LAN in Colorado and it was that fast. It was like unbelievable what a difference that was. So absolute game changer. Yeah. It's like the, the mobility of every person who can work remotely, which there's a lot more of them now That's right. can now go way further into the wilderness, which is what a lot of people want to go if they own an RV and still knock out. They'll stay longer because they don't have to get back to their job. They can do it remotely. This is why your model is going to be a home run, man, because I'm telling you, it, I, I, I'm living Key West, right? It's a metro. But every day I get up in the morning, I throw my laptop in my briefcase, I get on my bike, and I, I have these little offices. I call them offices all over town. Basically, it's a park bench in the shade. Yeah. Where I have a little portable desk I set up, and I even do that here in a metro because I don't want to be indoors after COVID. And that, that entire world is like that right now. So your model is a freaking home run because, to your point, if you – and here's the thing. what I want to make sure you guys heard what, what you said, Ramsey, about – 
having things to do. It's not about just getting an RV park. It's getting an RV park in a location. Like you said, the Panhandle, North Florida, I, from being a former RVer, can tell you there are not a lot of good places to stay in North Florida if you have an RV. There's a handful of choices. Once you leave Pensacola, there's not a whole lot going down I-10. There are very few, except for a few off-grid places, which in the summertime are not pleasant because uh, I've been to all of them. Uh, there's one RV park, a city RV park in Sop Choppy, Florida. <laughs> cool town, mm-hmm. but there's that's it. And now you you guys are going to hit it out of the park with this next deal. I mean, that's exciting. Um, so with that, are your deals, are they 506C open to accredited investors? Are you doing B, a 506B, or what's that look like? So when we do do syndications, it's typically a 506B. Our network right now, uh, and, and all 506B means you can't advertise it. Right. And we have a pretty good following of investors now. Um, it, it, we, we, in our first year, raised a million dollars to do two different deals. And I will say, I know if you would have told me three years ago that I was going to be able to raise a million dollars a year, I would, I would have laughed at you. There's no way, right? A, mil, a million dollars, again, when I made my first $40,000, I'd never seen $40,000. Right. I raised a million dollars. I never thought that I had the capacity to raise a million dollars. It's just had all these limiting beliefs, right? Yeah. And it's funny that uh, earlier, I think you started to say, it's like, when you ask yourself, what's the worst that ha- can happen? And you right? if you actually take, like a journal or just a piece of paper when you're looking at an investment and just write down all the things that you're worried about. Like what are the things that are bothering you possibly from it? And then you go back and you actually ask yourself that question out loud, probably four or five of those things. You're going to feel dumb for even asking that out loud to yourself. And you're going to mark them off your list because it's just not even really a a real, a true worry. But then you're going to have four or five things that, that actually are good things to worry about. Like, um, you know, like, what if I didn't do my underwriting correctly? But these are all what you're left with. They're all solvable problems. You just got to go solve them. Well, what if I don't underwrite it correctly? Well, I need to go learn how to underwrite. Now I need to put some time into learning how to underwrite, understand what I'm actually doing. Uh, what happens if the market goes down? Well, I need to go learn how some market metrics. I need to learn how to invest in good markets. But and it, the, the information is all available to you. It's like asking yourself, how do I lose weight? Everybody knows the answer is eat less, work out more. Exactly. Doesn't mean that you're doing it. Doesn't mean that you're doing it. Because if everybody did that, we'd all look great. The information is available. Yes. What you don't need is more information. What you need is action. You got to take action on it. You got to understand it. Did you guys hear him say that? What you don't (laughs) need is more information. Stop buying $50,000 mentorship programs to buy a $50,000 rental house. What the hell, man? That doesn't make yeah. sense. Go put 50 grand into somebody else's deal and then follow them around town and watch what they do. That's how you do it. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you nailed it there when it's like uh, you'd make a list of the things that you don't, that you're, you're worried about. And in my case, it's 99% of things that I worry about are never happen. And usually my wife will tell me like a year later, she's like, I don't know why you bitched about that. Or, you know, why you thought that was a problem because that wasn't a problem. Um, and that's across the board and, and, and everything. And we're all like that. Every one of us, uh, what could happen if you go wrong? People don't know what to say. When I say to them, what questions, uh, are you afraid to ask that you haven't asked? Let me ask it for you. I tell this to my investors, how can I lose your money? Let's go through that process. What does that look like? How would you invest in a piece of real estate? Whether you do it with a syndicate, send them a syndication, or you do it on your own. How specifically would you lose money? have that conversation. Ramsey, here's the thing. You're not going to 
you may completely train wreck below the underwriting on a deal. But here's what I've learned in about 10 seconds in your website. You are not an island. You have two other partners, two yes. other principals in this deal who I know for a fact that I've never even met the men. I know for a fact that they are involved in the underwriting process. Mike may be my spreadsheet guy, but that does not mean that Mike gets full control over what goes on with the deals. Everything vets through both myself and my wife. And then Mike does it. And then our CPA looks at it. So we have multiple layers to get this stuff done. So the underwriting mistake, I don't see it really happening. Not only that, you got to take it to a bank and they're going to have people who like professional underwriters that do this for a living. uh, Look at it and say, Oh, this still will work, or they say there's no way this still is going to work. Bam, right. that's a free, you know, that's like free underwriting. So I, you're right. Like writing down a lot of the things that what it really is, Tyler, is it, it's a lack of confidence. Yes, absolutely. Right, and and, and it, rightfully so. Some people like you can't just fabricate confidence. But what I have learned, and a mentor of mine taught me this, is that you can definitely borrow confidence. Yes. And usually, borrowing confidence comes in the form of partnering with somebody who knows what they're doing. And now it's like, okay, well, this guy, this guy's got all the confidence in the world that he can do it. I'm kind of unsure about it. How can I partner with this guy and borrow that confidence? One of the biggest things that I've seen, like one of the most humbling things is when I saw a guy who looked just like me, my age, got out of the military, you know, handsome and fit. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But, But looked just like me and was about four or five years ahead of me in syndications. Right. He had started four or five years before me in syndications. I was doing a uh, small multifamily stuff on my own, but I saw, I was like, if that guy can do it, he looks like me, like, like talks like me is like me, but is just ahead of me. I borrowed that guy. So I was like, if he can do it, I can do it too. There's no way that I can't do this. If this guy can do it. And it wasn't like a knock on him. He was saying he looked just like me, simple Southern guy, not very educated, but killing it in real estate. Yeah. And I was like, well, let me take a look at myself three years ago. Where was I? I was doing drywall, right? I was exactly. I was turning and burning, but but mostly learning, right? Now I look at okay, if this guy's three years ahead of me, then that's 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 the shot that I have. That's what I can get done. And I'm yeah. borrowing that confidence and it pushes me to keep going, right? So it's it's a great concept to borrow somebody else's confidence. And all you really have to do is have a conversation with somebody who's done what you want to do or get in the room with somebody who is doing what it is you want to do and have that conversation, just opening up the lines of communication to somebody who, who can tell you you're on the right track or help you adjust fire is a huge deal because now, you know, if you hit a roadblock, you got a way to get over it. You at least call and, and, and bounce that idea off of somebody else. Exactly. I'll leverage in that team and leverage in that network. That's absolutely what it's all about. So with a 506B, folks, the the way uh, Ramsey's doing his deals, that means that you need to spend some time getting to know Ramsey and his team. And uh, Ramsey, what's the best way for them to get to know you guys and kind of get a, you know, be fly on the wall and figure out what you're, what you're doing and how you're doing it and that type of thing. How do people get in touch with you? So our syndication company is realfocus.org and that's realestatefocus.org. But the best way to get a hold to us is just go on Facebook and join our Facebook group. It's it's from middle class to millionaire. Uh, it's got a bunch of gorillas on the front. Uh, people, people ask me all the time why the gorillas. It stands for Go Real Estate. It's Gorilla Estate. That's the name of my podcast. But from middle class to millionaire, we've got close to 2,000 people in the group right now. 
Uh, we post on there every day. We respond to the comments. We respond to the posts. That's kind of our, for lack of a better term, ecosystem of the people that follow us and uh, and are likely to invest with us or learn from us. That's the best place to get a hold to us. Okay, is is to go in there and, and comment. So you can also listen to uh, my podcast, Real Estate Investing uh, Podcast. Tyler's been a guest on there. It's a great episode. Um, and that's pretty much it. That's, that's how you can get a hold of me. There you go. Good deal. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to spend some time with you. I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot going on. And I, there was so much value packed in this episode. Guys, if you listen to this episode, you're hanging. I know this is a longer one, but I implore you to go back and listen to it more than once because this thing is value packed with nuggets. I had several epiphanies during this episode. So, Ramsey, thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank absolutely. You. And guys, uh, we're going to go ahead and, and wrap it up there. But I mean, geez, I mean, if you didn't take notes during this episode, stop listening to my podcast. Just get the hell out of real estate because you didn't <laughs> learn a damn thing, right? Guys, this is the year. 2022 does can either completely suck for you or can be the best year ever, but that begins by getting off your ass and getting to work. If you're not out there doing it, if you're not out there growing your nest egg, if you're not putting your money to work and helping leveraging other people's experience, ask yourself, why the hell not? Guys, there are no excuses in 2022. Let's bring it home for a great year, and we'll catch up with you guys next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.